Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Ken Griffey's Grotesquely Swollen Jaw, the podcast that follows my journey as I aim to learn all about the wonderful sport of baseball. Now, joining me this afternoon, we've got another guest in the UK, but unlike Pete last week, it's not a, a Brit who has got into baseball as I'm trying to do. It's uh, almost like an American missionary come here to teach teach us Brits more about baseball. So Chris Knobloch, thank you very much for joining. My pleasure, Stuart. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's it's great that you're going through this this journey of exploration in baseball and softball here in the UK, and uh, I'm I'm glad to be a small part of it. Yeah. So, um, Chris, if you could give us a bit of a background about yourself. So you've been working working it in sports. Um, so you said before we went live, you started off in in radio. Was it always a dream of being in sports radio, or was it were you in a Radio station, sports guy was sick one day, and then then you filled in. How did your career career sort of start? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, um, as Stuart said, my name is Chris Knobloch. I am the public relations officer and broadcaster uh, for Baseball Softball UK, which is the national development and performance agency for the two sports here in the United Kingdom. Uh, We work closely with the GB national teams, both federations, the British Baseball Federation, the British Softball Federation, to help develop the sports, to help the elite teams perform, and to get more people playing baseball and softball in more places. And um, your introduction of me as a missionary is, is, (laughs) I hadn't thought of myself that way, but it's it's, it's almost the appropriate term, um, because I moved here to work for Baseball Softball UK and to help grow baseball and softball here in the United Kingdom. Um, But I actually started out in sports because I wasn't good enough to play baseball. Um, And about 15 years ago, uh, I had played baseball from the age of about six or seven all the way up through high school um, with varying levels of success. And uh, when I got to college, I went to the University of Maine, which is a division one college in the NCAA. So the highest level of baseball that you can play. And I tried out for the team. I knew it was a long shot for me to make it. And I did not make the team as a walk on. And so I, I still remember this very vividly on a very cold day in autumn 2008. Um, I got the notice that I wasn't going to make the team. I walked off the field, still in my metal spikes. This was very, very dumb. Walked all the way across campus to our Memorial Union into the uh, sports radio station, signed up that day and have been doing this ever since. For me, it was about staying involved in the sports. I had always had a passion for sports radio. I grew up listening to um, radios that I used to hide under my pillow um, of WGN, which was uh, the Cubs and the White Sox out in Chicago, because my family is originally from Chicago. And I grew up in Boston, where sports radio is a really, really big part of the sports culture. Uh, the, the the Red Sox radio network was my soundtrack to growing up, and it was uh, Jerry Truppiano and Joe Castiglione, who were the radio voices of the Red Sox, that really got me to love baseball and to know what I was going to do after my time playing the game had come to an end. So I've been broadcasting for the last 15 years. Uh, I have been working in sports in a professional capacity for the last 11, um, starting out in minor league hockey with a team called the Portland Pirates. Uh, They were the affiliate of the now Arizona Coyotes uh, in the American Hockey League. Um, Then I worked for the Canadian Women's Hockey League and the Boston Blades as their play-by-play broadcaster and their director of communications. And I also worked for the the league itself there. Um, And then I finally was able to find a professional opportunity in baseball and was the inaugural broadcaster for the New Britain Bees of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. And I was the broadcaster for their first two professional seasons. So I've had varied history with 
the broadcasting side of things, and I've dipped in and out where I've been able to, um, but I've always been part of sports communications. Uh, that's been on start your your dream dream career almost as you said you if you said you're still still wearing those those metal spikes it was a very quick transition then so the moment the the dreams of being that, that major league player ended you instead sort of focused on becoming a major league broadcaster um so you, you mentioned the um a few a bit of stints in hockey before minor league baseball um was it always your aim then to transition into minor league baseball or was that just whatever jobs jobs came about i i went to a, a school in the university of maine that was known for its ice hockey and so that when i was on campus was the the golden goose if you could be the hockey play-by-play broadcaster that was about the highest level you could achieve and my my senior year my final year at umaine i was the primary play-by-play broadcaster so when i originally graduated college i was looking for the best opportunity to stay active in sports and that's how i ended up in portland and working with ice hockey and then with the boston blades but i have always wanted to work in baseball there is something about the sport that connects people in a way that i've rarely found with other sports that i've worked in and i've been fortunate to work with a lot of world-class athletes as well as a lot of grassroots athletes And baseball creates community in a way that is unique amongst sports. It's through storytelling. It's not necessarily about statistics and wins and losses, although obviously that's part of any sports competition. But baseball is rooted in mythology. It's rooted in the history of the game and how the game has adapted and survived. And the quote that always comes back to me is the quote from Field of Dreams. And the fact that we're talking here on opening day is a perfect reminder because um, every opening day I post the same clip from Field of Dreams, which is the James Earl Jones speech. People will come, Ray. And there's a whole section about it, about how time marches on through America like an army of steamrollers, and it completely changes the world around you. But the one constant through all the years is baseball. It reminds us of what is good and what can be again. And for me, that is the ethos that I bring through for my baseball work, the connections that it creates, the the um, brotherhood is not the right word, but the the brotherhood, sisterhood, the the collective unity the that it creates within with a people, team, yeah. within individuals. The, it is a lifelong thing, and the game will take care of you so long as you take care of the game. Drew Spencer, the um, head coach of the Great Britain team that just won their first World Baseball Classic game and qualified for the 2026 um, games, talks about the concept of the infinite game, how the game of baseball is infinite. It is Um, unending. It flows through every aspect of your life, of your work. And I very much subscribe to that belief. He articulates it in such a great way. But the game is a great unifier and it is a great connector. And in when I was looking for jobs and looking at what my next step would be after I was in New Britain, one of the things that appealed so much to me about coming to the UK and working to grow the game here is that unifying factor. It's not necessarily because I'm an American who grew up in New England, although that is about as close as you can get <laughs> to original England, let's call yeah. it. But it it's, it was something that I felt very strongly and still feel very strongly every day that will be successful here because of that culture and that storytelling uh, nature of the sport. 
um, certainly really, really interesting that, that you've said. So again, I've done a, a few episodes now and um, what has initially attracted me to, to baseball from my initial knowledge of of, of the sport when, when I started was that, that nostalgia, that that history, the fact that it is more mistake. What's important about baseball history is is those stories, is, is those myths. It's not necessarily a a famous home run or a famous game, although they're important too. But it is the fact that it is it is so key and crucial in in American history. So in the UK, in your role at baseball softball UK, are you simply trying to import the American culture, or are you sort of putting a British slant on on the game? I think that's a it's a great question. It really is because there's often this this misnomer, as it were, that an American will come in and try and Americanize the game or create an American copy of the game. And and I could not want to do that less because baseball it, at its root is British. The first recorded game of baseball was not in the United States. The United States did not invent the game of baseball. The first recorded game of baseball was about five miles from where I'm sitting right now in Walton-on-Thames in 1749, and the Prince of Wales played in that game. The modern rules of baseball came 111 years later. Baseball is a British game at its core. And when you think about it, and if you look at the evolution of sports in the, in the UK, you can see where it's gone to. It's gone to rounders. It's gone to cricket. Bat and ball sports are still part of the British ethos. It's just not baseball or softball at the moment. And we do have a number of players playing around the country. We have somewhere in the area of 20 to 22,000 between all formats of the sport. So there is a, a passionate community. And I, that community is hopefully going to grow and grow and grow. The goal here is to make British baseball and softball a success. It's not to make American baseball and softball a success. It's not to make... Taiwanese or Japanese baseball a success here. It is for the British game to grow and evolve and to become a force within the the world. And with yesterday's world standings, both of the national team programs are now in the top 20. Um, and I say both of the national team programs, those are the ones counted by UK sport, the Olympic two yep. formats. We have more national teams and actually our slow pitch uh, national team is one of the best in the world. Um, but un through funding, uh, they don't count via UK sport for this okay. particular but item. cycle. Yeah, exactly. So the goal is to make British baseball and softball successful. And honestly, one of the things that I said in my interview back in 2018, and one of the things that I have continued to say is that my goal is to make myself irrelevant in this process, because I grew up listening to the voices mm -hmm. of Boston baseball. And they were Boston guys and they had the accent and they had the colloquialisms and they had all of the inside knowledge that you would only get from a Bostonian. And that's how the connection grew for me. And one of my goals, I am the, the broadcaster right now in the country, but one of my goals is to replace myself sooner rather than later with British voices who can call British games and bring that level that I can never achieve as an outsider to the game. So it's very much important to me that this these sports are grown the or way organically and by the people who or, are going or, to be playing it exactly organically and and in the same mold in which they started because they didn't need to be started by americans um, yes americans and other baseball playing countries have been involved throughout the history 
of baseball here in the United Kingdom. But British baseball and British softball can stand on their own. And that's my goal in growing the games is to get more people playing British baseball and British softball. So I think there are the obviously Major League Baseball games being held at the uh, Olympic Stadium or the London Stadium, as it as it's called now. So how do you see that as either helping your goals or even getting in the way of your goals? That this big showpiece is still the American um, import. Are you trying to get some exhibition or a scrimmage of British players to play before one of the innings, or what's your particular role in these games? So the, the London series is a very interesting one for us. Um, we're, we're actually very involved with the London series as part of what's called the London Legacy Group, um, which is our company, Baseball Softball UK, along with the Greater London Authority, that's the mayor's office here in London, and Major League Baseball. And we are all partnered together to deliver the London series and its various surrounding events. The key thing for us is the legacy left behind by the London series. And so in 2019, when the London series first came to the UK, there were, were lots of plans on how we would continue the growth and the programs that were set off by that series and the attention and capitalize on all of the goodwill and that great event. And unfortunately, the COVID pandemic really interrupted that. However, while we had that interruption after the first London series, it has ended up being a net positive and a huge net positive for British baseball and softball because the London series, instead of coming back one more time, is now coming back three more times. This year, next year, and 2026. In 2025, they are going to Paris. Okay. So we now have a very large opportunity to use these events to showcase the homegrown British baseball and softball, the homegrown talent, and how people can get involved here at the UK level. Now, there is not going to be a direct connection between however many people attend the London series and however many people are playing the sports. And we know that. But what it does is it shows the British public that there is an interest in these sports. In fact, the London series in 2019, I believe the first game was the best attended baseball game, Major League Baseball game, anywhere in the world since 2003. Wow. That shows that there's an interest in the sport. That shows that there's a commercial opportunity. And of course, the more money that comes into the sports, the more Baseball Softball UK is able to help out the federations, the more the federations are able to grow, the more the national teams are able to access. So it's about capitalizing on the opportunity and leaving that legacy behind. And that's why the London Series Legacy Group is so important to us. Back in 2019, we had a program that we launched with USA Baseball at the time. Um, it was called Fun at Bat. And at the Manor Junior School in East London, we had a Fun at Bat launch. And the people who attended were our CEO, John Boyd, um, someone from Premier Education who are our delivery partners, the chief operating officer of USA Baseball, which is a big big get in and of itself because USA Baseball helping out what is now a rival federation yeah. is, mm -hmm. is a big deal. The fourth person was the commissioner of baseball. That's okay. how serious Major League Baseball is taking these opportunities. Mm -hmm. The fact that the commissioner of baseball during what was the busiest week on for the first European games ever held took two hours out of his time to come to a school to a primary school in East London, because that's what it means 
to Major League Baseball. So as much as there will be the grandeur of the games, as much as you'll see the spectacle, and they will do a fantastic job at both the games between the Cubs and the Cardinals in June, 86 days from now. Thank you very <laughs> much. But the legacy is quite important. You'll be seeing a lot of news coming out mm -hmm. soon that is about how we get more people playing and how the London series impacts school children, local communities, underprivileged communities, all throughout London first, and then the wider UK. Good. So um, you mentioned the British national teams a couple of times who, again, they got their first ever win at the baseball softball classic um, a couple of weeks ago against Colombia. So who was representing Team GB in the in this tournament? Uh, I've had a quick look at the list of names. It's not exactly necessarily homegrown Brits. It's uh, a few MLB or minor league players with vague grandparent connections to England, or did I get that impression slightly wrong and there were a few homegrown players there? So I think it, it the, the World Baseball Classic at any international tournament always brings up the how British are our players. Yeah. And this is not unique to baseball and softball. Um, it happens. Uh, Garrett Southgate a couple days ago was quoted about how English players are not getting enough premiership time. And that kicked off the whole debate about do we need English players to play in English leagues? It's the same debate in baseball and softball. I see it quite differently right now, which is first you have to get the money so you can develop the talent. What the World Baseball Classic does is it unlocks more money than the annual operating budget of the Federation instantly. I won't, I can't say how much the prize money is, but it is substantial. And that fundamentally changes what the British Baseball Federation is able to do on the ground. Every team works with the same rules in a World Baseball Classic, just as they would at the European Championships. So if you look at the United States, yes, they're all American players. You look at the Canadian players, there are some more tangential uh, connections there. If you look at Great Britain, it is just as tangential as Italy or the Netherlands or uh, some of the players even in Japan or you can make the same argument across the board. But the key thing is that every one of those players on that roster has a connection to Great Britain that they feel incredibly strongly. So I was fortunate enough to be the press officer for Great Britain when they qualified for the World Baseball Classic last September. And one of the things that Gary Anderson, who is the head of performance for both of the GB programs, as well as at Baseball Softball UK does, um, is a closed door session with the team. And it's called What Makes Us. And that's where the stories come. That's where you find out about Harry Ford's family and how they absolutely love Great Britain and how he saw Brad Marcelino wearing a GB shirt, mentioned that his parents were from Great Britain and is now one of the most recognizable baseball players in the country. That's how you get Dan Cooper, who retired from professional baseball in 2014, but has been playing for Great Britain still ever since and staying in shape ever since, because that's what it means to him. Yes, not every player has a British passport. But then again, I don't have a British passport. Does that mean I can't grow the game here? It doesn't. It's about creating the opportunity and getting to the World Baseball Classic with that roster creates the opportunity. There's also the fact that Great Britain or the United Kingdom of Great Britain at the time had a worldwide expanse. And as such, that's part of the history of the game. And that tells the story of the game. It's not always going to be the nicest history, but it's an important part of that history. And yet, 
we've turned something that history will not look kindly on to colonialism within the the um, Caribbean in particular. And now we have players from the Bahamas who are proud to represent Great Britain, who have that connection to Great Britain. And they are bringing their talents to help the collective good of British baseball. And I think, yes, you can find the negative stories anywhere about the ancestry and it will come up every time. It's un unavoidable. But what does it unlock? That's the real question here. What opportunities come because those players decided that they wanted to represent their heritage? When we go back to the World Baseball Classic in 2026, when hopefully the Olympics return baseball and softball as a format in 2028, the players there will be much more likely to be homegrown because of what the players did in March this year. Yeah, and so that's like, the most yeah. important part. So for, for you and the the wider goals of, of Baseball Softball UK, it is to ensure that they're getting you up the next level. So when those homegrown players are, are ready, they're available, it's those opportunities have, have been opened. The doors have been opened by these collection of um, people with, as I said, varied backgrounds. Again, it's from my soccer or um, rugby or cricket background, again, because uh, England are more dominant than those would be almost the opposite way way around they'd have to be our homegrown lads as it were but it's, mm -hmm. it's very interesting that from, from baseball it's it's going the other way around so did you were you able to I mean if I hadn't been following uh the world baseball classic uh, as part of this podcast I might not otherwise have been aware of it did you see that or in terms of your organizational goals were there enough social media hits was there enough reach that you Saw, saw, saw some interest in in the UK? Well, I, I think that there were there was certainly a lot of interest, um, mm -hmm. uh, and it was great to have the focal point of the traditional baseball outlets on Great Britain, and that mm -hmm. was always going to be a boost to us. Um, I can't answer this question without first saying what a great job Batflips and Nerds did. Yes. They are Britain's biggest uh, podcast for baseball, and they were essentially the only dedicated media coverage of the World Baseball Classic this time. And that's okay. That's roughly what we expected. At the qualifier, we were in a similar situation where media hadn't yet paid attention to Great Britain. They will now. Great Britain had to prove something. They had to prove that they were worthy of the coverage. Beating Colombia, there is no longer anything that they have to prove in terms of being worthy of the coverage. They have done everything they needed. And once that win against Columbia happened, the media coverage certainly picked up. In 2026, I would be shocked if we don't have more traditional outlets covering Great Britain. And I know that that's something that I will um, be sure to, to assist the Federation and the GB staff with if they need that help, because that's certainly important in telling the story. But at the same time, there were there were a couple people who, you know, they raised a couple concerns about the level of coverage and whatnot. And to them, I would say the BBC just f signed a five year contract to show Major League Baseball games last year. Yes, they might not be covering this specific event, but they have already put their money where their mouth is in terms of covering the sport. The interest needs to grow somehow. And this is how it grows. They took the flyer. We've now got, they'll have the analytics now. They'll be able to see exactly how many people watch. Now it's our job in the community 
to watch the games, to show that there is that interest. And that's how the system feeds itself, and that's how the rising tide lifts all ships. So was the media coverage exactly what we wanted? No, I can't I can't pretend to say that. But is it trending in the right direction? Absolutely it is. And the more that baseball and softball are in the public eye, to go back to your question about the London series, what advantage does it have? That's another instance where we will be able to say, look at us, look what we're doing. We're you have interest out, in this. getting viewing figures on the BBC. So this exactly. proves that this interest is here, increase the funding, increase the coverage further, and then it can only be a, a positive, positive domino effect. To, to quote the 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers, you have to trust the process here. And it is a process. It's not going to be overnight. And, and certainly the COVID pandemic kind of restarted the process in, in some areas. But everything is moving in the direction that if I were an outside observer looking at baseball and softball in this country, I would be very encouraged at how things are headed, how things are going. And so um, I, I think that we will be in that conversation going forward and that's what matters good um so we've, we've touched on it um slightly but um as as we record it is opening day uh in in major league baseball um will will you be watching do you are you still a, is a red Sox fan from from childhood or what's your current relationship with with the professional game in, in the us so i grew up um in a d relatively divided fandom uh my first game was actually at wrigley field uh, because my my family is from Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I grew up, originally I was a Cubs fan, and then I became a Red Sox fan um, and was a diehard Red Sox fan, watching every game, um, keeping my own stat books. Uh, it was, it was I, I was exactly what you are now imagining in your head of a Boston <laughs> kid dressed head to toe in Red Sox gear. Yeah. And that was really exciting when in 2004 they broke the curse of the Bambino and won the World Series. That was my first year of high school. Wow. So I've, I've been a Red Sox fan my entire life, but my dad is from Connecticut. Oh, and my okay. dad being from Connecticut, Connecticut is divided in half between Red Sox and Yankees fans. And my dad is a Yankees fan. So I grew up with the rivalry in my house. The 90s were tough. I'm not, not going to pretend yeah. that they weren't tough. And I have an added wrinkle because my last name is Knobloch. Now it's spelled K-N-O-B-L-O-C-K. But a few generations back, it was spelled differently. My name has been Americanized through Ellis Island. It was spelled K-N-O-B-L-A-U-C-H, which is the German word for garlic. Chuck Knobloch was a second baseman for the Minnesota Twins who won the Rookie of the Year in 1992. And in 1997, he was traded to the New York Yankees and promptly won three World Series. I also played second base. And then when Chuck Knobloch developed what are called the yips, he had throwing problems based on anxiety. Yep. They were so severe that it ended his career. I played the same position <laughs> as Chuck Knobloch. He was my most hated rival on my most hated team. And I had that follow me through my entire career. Okay. <laughs> so... Yankees and developing the yips and happening to play second base like I did at the time. But I, I've been a diehard Red Sox fan. I loved the the 03 team, the Cowboy Up team, the 04 team that won the World Series. Um, the way I actually throw, I throw like Chad Bradford, um, who's a submarine pitcher. He was in Moneyball, you might remember. Um, mm -hmm. He was the very Christian character, if you've seen that movie. Yep. 
he was traded to the Red Sox in 2005. And that's when I developed my submarine style. Yeah. It was, it's, it, I have very much a close tie to the Red Sox. Part of it is that Fenway Park is an iconic venue. It is so different from any other ballpark. And I've been very fortunate to be at both Wrigley and at Fenway. But Fenway for me, going back to the the story basis of baseball, it is a story. You can tell a story from a dent on the wall or a scribbled signature inside the green monster. And in fact, when I was working for the Boston Blades, they had won the league championship the year before. My first day with the Blades, we went to Fenway Park and they were honored on the field. And that was one of the coolest experiences of my life. The other really cool experience for me at Fenway Park is I got to broadcast ice hockey while I was in college, an outdoor game between the University of Maine and the University of New Hampshire, our biggest rival. And it ended in overtime. And my call, I still, I'm so proud of this still to this day. I got to call a walk-off goal in ice hockey because he walked it off. He scored the goal. His name was Brian Flynn. Mm -hmm. He scores and then he faked a home run swing. It was unbelievably cool. And so my connection to Fenway is almost stronger than my connection to the Red Sox, but that's how my fandom has almost reinforced itself. I'm, I'm a fan of the building. I'm a fan of the team. It, it is part of my heritage. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds, I mean, Fenway is, well, not, not for the, the personal reasons you've developed, but again, just for the storylines, it is one of the three three ballparks thus far I've, I've visited. I went, went to a game in September 2017 with um with a friend who's who's from that area so no it's certainly even years ago when I had he just bit baseball was just a something I was kind of aware of I had to make sure that Fenway somewhere somewhere I've, I've been to and there's even a lot of people in, in Europe not baseball fans who are jealous that I've been 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 to Fenway it is one of those globally iconic iconic stadiums uh ballparks as we should say um so other than Fenway would you say that's the thing you miss most about not living in the U.S. from a baseball point of view, or are there certain hot hot dogs and cracker jacks that you're missing missing as well? I'll, I'll be honest. The thing I miss the most are, are reasonable start times. Yeah. Um, I I I help organize some of the watch parties with the MLB UK community fan group. Uh, we actually have one coming up on Saturday, um, and have six more throughout the year at Home Run House in London. And that's just a group of British baseball fans coming together, watching a game together. Um, we, I bring my BSUK stuff. It's a lovely time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much more dedicated than I am because if a game starts at one o'clock in the morning, I won't watch it because I have work the next morning. They will. And some of them are fans of West Coast teams and they'll start watching the game at 3 a.m. That's the level of dedication that I can't muster in my, my current role. But it also, for me, is another indication of just how deep baseball runs in Britain. The fact that there are many people who wake up at really odd hours of the day just to watch the sport. I do miss having more games, though, at a regular time. And this was particularly the case during the World Baseball Classic, where a lot of games started at two o'clock in the morning UK time. So that was that was quite difficult. That was a wake up and check the score type yeah. deal. I mean, you but, could legit, legitimately count that as work, though, couldn't you? You could say I'm working. Yeah, during yes, the it, time. yeah, you certainly could. Um, but, you know, I, it, there's so much going on in baseball and softball at any given moment. So while the GB teams over in Arizona, I'm getting ready for the national softball championships for universities, which were that weekend. Oh, OK. So though the work 
is is constant and it's ongoing and there's always something on, which is one of the things I enjoy about uh, working in the sports. Honestly, the thing I miss the most about baseball over here isn't really about baseball, but it's tangentially related to baseball. It's good Mexican food. <laughs> Living in the United States and being next to Mexico, we had a lot of Mexican food and they had a lot at the ballparks. And if you look at the Arizona Diamondbacks in particular, or some of the crowds that they had at the World Baseball Classic that were 90 to 95% Mexican crowds, you can see just how deep that connection runs. Um, I used to work in the, when I worked in the Atlantic League, I should say, the Sugarland team, now called the Space Cowboys, but they were called the Skeeters at the time, were one of the teams in our um, in in our league, mm-hmm. and they had the best Mexican food, the absolute best. And yep. I do miss having that at a ballpark, having some tacos and and mm-hmm. uh, that that occasionally miss it. But I also am working a lot more at ballparks here than I I was or. Working in a different way, I should say. So when I was broadcasting, I had a lot more time to watch the game and, and sit. And that was your job was literally to, to watch it. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm doing a lot more hands on stuff, a lot, lot more marketing stuff. So that it's just a different, different style. Good. So I guess um, if I'm ever able to join you at Homer in House, one of these watching, I expect to have the, the best, best Mexican food in, in London. That's got to be part of your experience in growing the game. It's growing those little, little uh, things as well as the just simply what happens on, on the field. Well, one of the brilliant things about Home Run House is that uh, our partner there is uh, Passyunk Avenue. And Passyunk Avenue is a Philadelphia-themed restaurant in London, and they've got a number mm-hmm. of locations. I will hang my hat on this. They are the best cheesesteak you can get outside of the United States. Now, it's not perfect because the UK has food standards that <laughs> make it so that the cheese whiz has to actually contain cheese. Which is slightly disappointing, but understandable why they can't replicate the very plastic cheese from Philadelphia. So it is a great time. You get a taste of what it would be like to attend a game in Philadelphia. You get um, a chance in the batting cages. We run them everywhere we possibly can. Um, And we're going to try and expand them outside of London as well. Because um, one of the things I I would say is that there is a particular focus on London right now because of the London series and, and these watch parties. But we are very much trying to expand things to all four corners of Great Britain and the United mm-hmm. Kingdom. And one example of that was when we ran the the Great Britain wide watch party. We had five locations, Bristol, Manchester, London, Cardiff, and Edinburgh. We want everything we do to span all of Great Britain and the United Kingdom. So I think that that's, that's, that's something that I would want to, to leave everyone with is that we are working across the whole of, of the country. Yeah, it is and definitely we're really, really trying to mm-hmm to make this as accessible as possible yeah. to anyone and everyone. Well, well Chris, it's been uh, fantastic to, to talk to you and to l- learn more about how you are helping, as I said at the start, being spread, spreading that mission, spreading that, that the message of uh, of baseball across across the four corners of, of the UK. So if you were to, um, if I was to ask you on the spot for a prediction, so if we were to do this podcast again in five years' time, what, what would the how different would the situation look? Look, would it be multiple London series? Would there be participation in that LA Olympics, or what is a realistic prediction for the next five years? So let let's if, if we're going to put our hypothetical hat on, and these are just hypotheticals because I do work for uh, you know yeah. with 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 some prior knowledge, let's call it. Yes. Five years from now, I expect Great Britain to be in the Olympics in both softball and baseball. Mm-hmm. I expect there to be a larger playing opportunity. I expect the London series to be something that's semi-regular. 
And I very much hope that the sports will be growing and expanding and visible in the mainstream. I very much hope for that. And I think that that is, is certainly quite doable. Uh, I, we're, we're certainly headed in the right direction. This is certainly the most unified that the sports have been in my time working with Baseball Softball UK. It's a really exciting time for the sports. And I would urge anyone and anyone who wants to get involved in any way that they can, not just playing, to reach out. Look at our team finder on the Baseball Softball UK website. Talk to one of our staff. Um, get involved. See what it's all about. You don't have to play. You don't have to volunteer. But just see what it's, try it out. See what there is out there. And I guarantee you will find something that you will enjoy one way or another. Perfect. Well, Chris, that's um, been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So you mentioned to our listeners they can find baseball or softball online. Just, just Google it. Is, is it um, baseballsoftball.co.uk or? Baseballsoftballuk.com uh, is our website. We're Baseball Softball UK on most social media. On Twitter, we are BSUK. Make sure to also check out the British Baseball Federation, who are the national governing body of the sport. They are responsible for GB Baseball. Um, they've also set up enrollment. So if you don't have a team, you can enroll as an individual right now, and they will help you find a team to get playing. So uh, there's plenty of resources out there. We are constantly updating everything we have and sharing more information. You may have actually heard uh, my WhatsApp ringing during this, this mm -hmm. interview. That's the president of the British Baseball Federation. So that's... That's how connected we all are. And uh, it, if, if you need help, there are plenty of people who want to help and, and will take care of you. Chris, thanks very much for your time. And we'll let you get back to the president. Thanks, everyone, for listening and join us again next time. You can find the podcast at Swollen Jaw Pod. And please remember to share and review so that other baseball fans can find us. Please get in touch if you have a story, idea or suggestion about your team that I need to know about and tune in next week to hear more about my journey into baseball.